21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. The first time we ran a certification course, this is back in 1998, we had people show up and they, first of all, they said, I wasn't really sure that this was going to be here. Like the internet was really new then. And, you know, people found the course online. They're like, oh, I'm so glad there are actually people here. And this wasn't some kind of scam. But what they said to us was, I felt so alone doing this work. And I thought I was the only one. And being in a room full of people who are committed to growing emotional intelligence, starting with ourselves, it was an incredible sense of, of relief and connection. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of laughter. And just that, wow, we could actually do this. And we had people on our very first course, we had people from six different countries and business, education, government, military all of these different sectors and spaces saying we need to be better able to handle and understand emotions starting with ourselves. And that is why we actually changed our name to be the Emotional Intelligence Network, because there were people all over the world saying, I, I want this kind of connection. Are there any ego issues, any any blockages, any fear in the air among participants, or they were all open in connection with themselves and in full awareness? I mean, we are all a work in process, and I think that this the challenge of of connecting in a more authentic way it's a forever challenge. And I think, maybe second to you, I have the best job in the world because the people that I work with and interact with almost every day, they're people who want to do this work and care about emotions, care about learning about themselves, care, believe that when we connect more authentically with self, we connect more authentically with others, and that's what unlocks performance. And we actually, our research supports that, that when people grow emotional intelligence, they become more whole in their relationship with themselves. They become more self-compassionate as well as more self-aware. And that seems to be what catalyzes more authentic, deep and trust-based connections with others. And then we have lots and lots of case studies to show that in business and in all kinds of organizations, when that happens, people become more engaged. And when people become more engaged, of course, performance increases. And growing, just for example, we have a new case study which shows that when sales managers grow their emotional intelligence, not training the salespeople, just training the sales managers, the salespeople have better relationships with customers. Mm -hmm. So there's a ripple effect of growing these skills uh, at all levels in organizations. deeper into con connect more authentically what does it mean <laughs> oh my gosh that is a rich question i think a lot of the time we're on autopilot the way our brains work is we form and follow patterns uh essentially like subroutines in computer programming we have these little subroutines that we've learned and we follow those patterns and i would guess 95 percent of the day we're on autopilot 
and we're just kind of going through and, and reacting. And our brains need that because it's a lot of work to be conscious and careful. And so, you know, we don't think about how to brush our teeth. We just, whoa, go. We're thinking about, you know, the meeting. And, you know, all of a sudden it's nine o'clock and like we haven't really paid attention to anything all morning. Uh, or when you drive car from point A to point <laughs> B, how did you get there? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we're just kind of going along. And so I think part of being more authentic has to do with be, with with being more aware of switching off the autopilot and that takes work but it also allows us to be more adaptive to the circumstance that we're in and as you talked about earlier like our ability to be adaptable in a complex and changing world is a foundational strength for for us as entrepreneurs as leaders as people so i think there's a component of authenticity which has to do with not being asleep and, you know, when we're just kind of going through the day and we're, we're not actually paying attention, we don't know what we're really doing. We don't know what messages we're bringing in or sending out. So that's one piece of it. And then there's another piece of it, which has to do with the way we edit ourselves uh, based on expectations or assumptions. I, so many managers say to me, well, this isn't who I really want to be as a manager, but you know how managers are supposed to act in my business and so i have to act that way i'm like who said who said you had to act that way like it's like we're all kind of joining in this this farce we're joining in this this masquerade and then we're surprised when we don't feel like we really understand ourselves or each other or we're not connecting in in a more meaningful way well it's like well we've been playing a role and everybody else is playing a role. And and in business, so often that role is very depersonalized. You know, we even use the word role. I don't know how, how it is in your country, but... Mask. You know, Masks or roles. Yeah. And people will say, like, you know, it's it's a role description or a job description. You know, and, and like, what's your role? And isn't it interesting how we use that same word, role... <laughs> for your workplace and for being in the theater. You said that takes work. Mm. What about engagement regarding the work? So we know about Gallup Q12 test. There is very, mm. very low engagement around the world. States are among actually the best countries in the world, but still around 30% or something like that. People are actually engaged. What can we do as maybe first few steps or where to find more information to, to, to start working on our performance, to start being more engaged? When I first read about Gallup's research, I thought that every manager in the world would freak out and go, oh, we have to create change. You know, and now it's, what, 25 years later, 20 years later, we've been reading about engagement for two decades, and it's not really changing. And that leads me to wonder, you know, do, do leaders really get how much they're wasting? Uh, as you said, even in the United States, which is one of the highest scores, basically what we're saying is we're wasting 70% of our potential. 
as organizational leaders. And to me, as, as a CEO, if I thought that 70% of my organization's potential was going in the trash, I would flip my stuff. And I, you know, I would, I could not sleep with that, that piece of data. And so I do wonder in part, is it, you know, leaders don't really believe that there's that much waste or, um, they feel really uncertain in our research. It's quite similar engagement, uh, in, in our database is, is similar to what it is in Gallup's and we do a study every couple of years on organizational vitality. And what we found is that trust is pretty low in organizations. And I think it really connects to this piece that we're talking about. You know, we say things like, well, you should leave your feelings out of it. It's just work. And then lo and behold, people leave their feelings out. You know, they leave out their wonder and joy and love and passion and creativity. They leave out their trust. They leave out their sense of commitment and belonging. Those are all driven by emotion. They leave out their motivation because motivation is driven by emotion. So we leave our emotions out of what we come to work in this kind of automatonic state and it's just a job. And then we have low engagement. Well, shocking. So the antidote to me is super obvious. Bring your emotions to work, all of them. The messy ones, the confusing ones, I would way rather have angry employees than passive employees. And that requires new skills for us as, as managers and leaders. We have to understand how to bring emotions into the room. And for me, that started by becoming less afraid of feelings. And I used to, uh, I remember when the first time I ran a business, uh, I was a terrible manager, I was a terrible leader. And I had, a, I had an employee say to me, uh, there seems to be something going wrong in our team. Maybe we should talk about it. And I slammed my hand down on the table and I said, I don't want to talk about it. I just want you people to get the work done. And I, you know, I think I was playing this role of boss. And, um, you know, to me, this is this illustrates this piece about about authenticity. But also, I was afraid of emotions. I was afraid of asking, well, what's going on? And I thought, is, mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah, I thought if people if I acknowledged what people were feeling, I would make it worse. there is uh, the question about who owns the pain hmm. if there is no engagement if you as a CEO or a founder or whatever key role you have take all of the pain to yourself then you're in trouble mm -hmm. aren't you I during the pandemic I think a lot of us have face some new challenges and it's absolutely beyond what I could have imagined the, the challenges of leadership. And early in the pandemic, I remember I was in this state where I, I really wasn't sure we would be able to stay in business and, uh, had a lot of meetings with my 
team internationally and a lot of conversations about, okay, what, how do we want to respond to this? And one of my relatively, um, relatively junior employees called me up and said, um, I just want to talk to you about, you know, what's going on with the business. And I said, yeah, of course. And, um, he said, I just, I just want you to know, um, it's not all on you. Uh, I know this is really, you know, this is really hard and I, I just want you to know it's, um, it's something we're, we're all, we're all committed to. And, um, if you need, you know, if you need somebody to go on unemployment or, you know, you need to fire somebody, I, I'm okay. You, you can let me go. And I mean, even now it brings tears to my eyes. Like, uh, that sense of mutuality and that this is our work together. And I think I've said this so many times for years, I've written books about leadership and the idea that, you know, organizations are not a person, it's a communal creation it's a co-creation but I'd never felt it as strongly as in that moment that I was taking all of this on myself and in part from my own ego as a founder and as a CEO um, in part as sacrifice as service as like this is my responsibility and I think that moment of realizing this is our work, not my work. This is our organization. And it, it just has never been so clear to me as it was in that depth of the pandemic despair. was the transformation between our work and my work well it's on a cognitive that... level on an emotional level did did you did you felt any any kind of transformation for that mm. kind of new way of yeah looking at the situation i think it's been part of my vision of leadership always well <laughs> not when i was <laughs> 17 <laughs> but for the you know last a couple of decades of, of running six seconds but i think that growing sense of uh of, of of community um one of the things that that i see in organizations is you can't optimize for everything and so different organizations choose different priorities to optimize for you know, and just for example, Facebook said, we're going to optimize for retaining people's attention. And it doesn't matter, you know, what, how horrible it is, the stuff that we show, it doesn't matter if we're doing, you know, evil in the world and, you know, like making people into terrorists, we're optimizing for grabbing attention. And they did it. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of an extreme case, but I think each of us needs to think about what is it we want to optimize for? And you can't say 10 things. You know, I have a lot of, a lot of clients will say, well, we, I really want our organization to be innovative and also really accountable and follow rules. 
It's like, eh, no, you can't have both those things. <laughs> like, well, I want to be super agile and super structured. <laughs> well, yeah, probably not. So for me, what I want is to optimize for ownership. I want people to say, this is my work. And that's what I've wanted for years. And the reason is because we have a vision that's very, very big. And I recognize there's no way to achieve the vision unless people feel that sense. This is my community. This is my organization. So I think depending on what you're trying to create in the world, thinking about the culture that you're trying to build that will support that vision and then really pay attention to the kind of emotional quality that you're building that 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 supports that culture it's as the kind of chief emotions officer saying what is the emotional context that i want to set that's going to build that culture that's going to produce that outcome and so i have this you know our organization has a vision which i didn't create it was it was co-created by a bunch of people and in order to achieve that vision we have a strategy and in order for that strategy to work, we need a particular culture. And in, and in our case, it's a culture of ownership. So that, that's gone on for a long time. That process has gone on for a long time for me. And it was actually in 2013, we had a conference at Harvard University on emotional intelligence. And after the conference, we were talking about what do we really wanna do next as an organization? We made the decision to close all of our for-profit offices and stop all our major consulting projects that we were doing at the time and really focus on our mission. And that, for me, led me to say, okay, in order to do that, if we're going to have a billion people practicing emotional intelligence, I need an organizational culture where people who are on staff but also members in the community feel that sense of ownership because otherwise there's no way to get to a billion. What is stronger, positivity or negativity? <laughs> so at a neurobiological level, our brains are more attuned to threats. When and if you think about it this way, like your great, 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 great grandparents are walking down a path in the forest with some friends, right? And they're going along the forest and some people are saying, oh, I can't wait to go, you know, to the hot springs and, and have some fun together. And somebody else is like, wait, there's a scary sound in the jungle. And and these two friends, you know, these these friends are walking along and, and, and some friends are like, oh, just ignore that sound. Let's go have fun. Like they, they got eaten, right? <laughs> so our brains are adapted to prioritize threats because we can't go have, you know, fun in the hot springs if we die. And so at a, at a very basic neurological level, um, emotions that are around threat, uh, signals of threat are predominant in our brains. But when it comes to thinking about how do we produce value in our organizations it's very rare that saber-toothed tigers are you know tromping through the halls and so the the threats that we're dealing with are not actually existential threats usually and what we actually need in order to produce value are things like innovation connection problem solving 
uh, collaboration, reaching across boundaries, new discoveries, building trust and relationship. And all of those things require emotions that are connected with opportunity. So I don't like negative and positive emotion. I don't believe there's such a thing. Emotions are data. They're messages from us to us. And they're to help us survive and thrive. Some of those emotions are signals to say there's a danger. Some are signals to say there's an opportunity. The danger-oriented feelings have an urgency and a primacy, uh, but they don't actually motivate the change and transformation that we need. So a lot of organizations will say, like, oh, well, well, we need to create a sense of urgency, which is another word for fear, by the way. And, you know, that's what's going to get people to change. But in fact, what happens is as you increase fear, you cause people to withdraw and protect and become more siloed. And then you have less innovation and connection and trust. So the formula is, I think, pretty straightforward that if you want to increase engagement, you need feelings that are more connected to the opportunities. What are your tried and true methods for increasing that value with uh, emotional intelligence? Practice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> or, or what are some some of the most effective methods for increasing <laughs> one's emotional intelligence? Yeah. So I think normalizing conversation about emotion is one crucial step. Uh, in so many organizations, as I said, there's this you know leave emotions out of it mentality, and that leads people to leave a big part of themselves at the door and you know and we, we lose some of our human value um, so if we can just make it more normal to you know ask people how they're feeling to share how we're feeling this can be very very difficult i was working with an organization that has a, a highly transactional culture and it's a very kind of mechanistic rule following culture And one of the managers said to me, you know, I'm trying to, to, to do the things you're telling us to do, but my employees keep saying, like, I don't want to talk about how I'm feeling. You know, I, don't, I just want to do the work. <laughs> so I think that there is a, there's this, this normalizing conversation about emotion, seeing each other as human beings in the workplace, feeling that, that, that care for one another, that in itself takes time and practice. I think as managers, we need to go first, leaders go first, and we need to practice disclosing a little bit more, asking a little bit more, sharing a little bit more. We don't need to share everything, but just a little bit more, a little bit more honesty, a little more honesty with ourselves. Another skill that I've found very helpful, I mentioned to you that I used to be afraid of emotions, and one of the things that helped me be less afraid was just understanding them more and realizing that emotions aren't just completely irrational. There is a logic to emotions. We can, you know, when somebody is feeling, let's say, distrust, uh, we can understand what that means and what that drives. And we can understand that, you know, how a sense of uh, not feeling value, not feeling transparency, not feeling care, 
those reduce trust. And so there's sort of logical, uh, it's not exactly a math formula, but a kind of emotion formula to say, all right, I understand what this means and what creates it and what the impact is. Just learning more emotional vocabulary. We have a great tool on our website that's free, that's um, an emotion wheel, where you can click around and learn about basic emotions and what they mean. And uh, we can share the link with you, I, I guess, on, on, on the show notes. And that is a fantastic place to start. It's just like, okay, I learned 32 words for feelings. You now, most of us, when you say, like, how are you feeling? The answer is, oh, fine. Or okay. cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> great. Not great. Sucks. Right. Like, we have a pretty limited emotional vocabulary. And that's in part because we live in a world where you know, we just kind of push this stuff aside. There's another piece that uh, I would suggest if you really want to be serious about this. We know in organizations you get what you measure. And it's one of the reasons that we started to develop measurement tools for emotional intelligence. We can measure that at an individual level, a team level, or organizational level. So just for example, you know, there are a lot of groups of people that are called teams where there's, there's no team. And how do you know if it's a team or just a group of people? Well, you can measure, for example, trust. You can measure that sense of teamwork, the shared motivation, the way we execute together. So we've, we've discovered over a decade of research, five drivers that account for 50 to 60% of the variation in team performance. And those five drivers are trust, motivation, adaptability to change, teamwork, and execution. And we measure those five drivers at an emotional level. And we, it takes 10 minutes and we can say, yeah, all right, here's where your strengths and weaknesses are as a team. And then as a leader, you can say, all right, is it in, which of these, if any, is it important to work on? And then you can start to work on it and you have a way to take this intangible stuff and literally put it in the front of the room in a graph and then you can talk about it. What are you confront with when you are uh, uh, at the beginning of, of a new process in in organization? Well, one of our books is called Inside Change, and it's about whether organizations can change and and how. And I'll save you the you know twenty bucks and say the title is the answer. All <laughs> change starts on the inside. And what we found in this research is that. It is possible to create change in organizations, and the way you do it is by changing. You say, I mean, just for example, a, again, a sales manager says, I want my salespeople to be more proactive. Okay, no problem. You have to be more proactive. What? No, I want them to be more proactive. Like, yeah, okay, but for them to be more proactive, you have to be more proactive to engage them in a proactive way. And you show them that, and you, you engage with them in that way, and then they're going to turn around and learn that and follow that. So we could play that game with basically any change that you're looking for in an organization. And I think this is one of the challenges for, for senior leaders is that they say, like, go fix those people. 
You know, no, I don't want to. I'm okay. You know, our C level team is fine. We're old. We're we're not going to change anyway. Go deal with the middle managers. And then the middle managers say, "Yeah, I'd love to do this, but my boss is not actually supportive. Like this is not. You know, this doesn't fit with our culture." So I would say, you know, if you actually want to improve performance in your organization, you're going to have to confront reality and realize that you are a major part of the reason that performance is not happening. That the way your senior leaders are operating is a major factor in the outcomes that you're getting. And if you and your fellow senior leaders are not prepared to actually create change yourselves, don't bother. If you want to learn more about emotional intelligence and how to actually use it, I encourage you to explore our website, sixseconds.org. There is a whole case study library. We have partners all over the world who can support you in this. We have coaches, we have facilitators. And if you want to embed this in your organization, we have assessment tools and development tools that you can use to do that. I recommend you go to the website, look around. There's one tool that I shared earlier, which is the, the Pluchik model uh, emotion wheel. We'll put the link in the show notes. We have a case study library and we have some e-learning courses that you can explore on your own. Right now, there are a number of people who are facing very deep challenges. And as a master coach, one of the things that I've found is that coaching skills help me support the people around me. And so we've developed a new e-learning course that can give you some great tools from coaching that are going to help you support people who are facing challenges. So we'll put that in the show notes. I highly recommend that you take a look at that course. Twenty-first century entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.